Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. Five book reviews, two author interviews. How are you all doing? Are you okay? Well, my plan today was that I was going to take a photo of me jumping for joy because just had it confirmed we're having one of my other favourite authors on the podcast later this year. I'm not going to say who. And I wanted to take a photo of me jumping for joy. So I was on my own walking the dog. So I thought, well, I can use the timer on the phone. So I did it about 10 times where you set the timer and then you jump for joy and it takes the photo. I thought, brilliant. I'll just choose the best one. And I came back and looked at them. And in none of the 10 photos am I actually in the air. And instead, I I looked like I'm crouching for the toilet I'm afraid it's very unsatisfactory I it must I must have landed obviously my jumps aren't as high as I thought they were and uh, that plan failed completely so there we go but I've got some great books I have got some great books this is an episode packed with books you're going to love it's so exciting. Honestly, I'm, I've got my hands to my face in joy as I'm saying this, because you're going to walk away from this with ordering lots of books. So prepare yourself. First of all, we've got The Other Side of Night by Adam Hamdy. And Adam is going to come on and talk to us all about that book. Uh, next, we've got Tom Hindle is back, author of Fatal Crossing. And he's answering five questions in five minutes. You may remember he was on um, some months ago. So we've got his five minute questions on today. Then I'm reviewing for you The House of Ashes by Stuart Neville, The Talk of Pramtown by Joanna Naden, The Bullet That Missed by Richard Osman and Magpie by Elizabeth Day. So let's get started. The first book, The Other Side of Night by Adam Hamdy. This is the blurb. David Asher wants to tell you about three people. Elliot Asher, his son, broken by a loss that will redeem him. Ben Elmis, a surrogate father, and David's trusted friend, a man who might also be a murderer. Harriet Keelty, a retired detective searching for answers to three mysterious deaths, investigating a man who might be the love of her life. Every word David tells you is true, but you will think it fiction. This book, honestly, please get yourselves a copy of this book immediately. So I'm going to read the first sentence or two from the preface. What would you sacrifice for love? 
As I look back on my life, I'm haunted by the question. Perhaps what troubles me most is that I never got to choose. The pain I suffer, the loss I feel, the regret that clouds every single day. I never chose my sacrifice. Someone made the choice for me. This is a great book. It's mind-blowing. And let's just go and talk to Adam now. So Adam Hamdi, whose latest fabulous book is The Other Side of Night. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Philippa. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you on. This book is mind-blowing. We're not going to give any spoilers away, but how did you get the idea for this book and was your mind blown when you had the idea? Well, thank you for saying that, first of all. I, I, you know, I do hope people enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed writing it. Um, yeah, it was inspired by a question that our um, son asked when he was eight years old and we were out walking in the Roaches in the Peak District, which is where you know the book is largely set. And it was just one of those questions that immediately stuck with me. You know, it was just it, it, in my head. And I just thought, wow, this is a really cool basis for a story. And, and as I started to explore it, yeah, my mind was blown. I just thought, oh, this is really... And it's not so much that it's just mind-blowing. It's a really emotional story as well. So it kind of catches you in your heart and your mind. And, and that's a rare combination. So, yeah, I was very excited when... It's, uh, you know, basically it came to me. It was a gift from my son. So what was the question? Or does that is that going to give something away for the book? It would it would give away a spoiler. Okay. But it was a kind of a really, really, really profound question. And it just got me thinking. And maybe, you know, once enough people have read the book, I can talk about it more freely. But for the moment, yeah, it was, it was, it was just a very... But actually, bizarrely, it's a question that I think a lot of children ask in a different way. And it has, you know, it has to do with a sort of fear that children have about their parents and, you know, abandonment through either illness or death. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's something that's quite common to all, all children. And that's one of the things that really appealed to me about this story is it's a universal. It's about family. It's about, mm. you know, parents and children love. and love. Yeah. So when you're wanting to write another book and you're short on ideas, are you sort of mithering your son saying, can we just go out for another walk and can you ask more <laughs> interesting question you know it's funny you say that the next book I'm working on it isn't inspired by by my children but it is all about family and what it means to be a a good person and I'm just just about to pitch I mean it's actually it's one of the one of the ways that I know this is quite an impactful book it's quite a profound book is that I had a production company get in touch with me through my screen agent and say love the book you know we, we we want something from you can we work with you and that's when you know you've kind of done a a, a decent job. Um, so I'm about to pitch them something that's about family and, and how families impose identity on you and how, you know, there are other forces that can sort of make you need to rebel against the identity that your family imposes on you. So family is very much at the heart of what I'm writing at the moment, but it hasn't directly been inspired by... My son, although we were out driving the other day and he did give me another idea. <laughs> were you like screeching the brakes? Oh, hang on, let me get my important oh, notebook no. out here. Oh, <laughs> oh no. It's actually it's 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 not as it's not as immediately gettable. Uh, it's not in as good a shape, so I'm I'm gonna send him away to do some work on it. Yes, that's disgraceful. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, what it is. No, but he did he, he did give me another idea, which I think I'm gonna noodle around with for a bit and see if I can turn it into something. 
But he's starting now to demand payment and all that sort of thing. So, Well, I was going to say, when you get a letter from his solicitor, <laughs> you know, you're both equally proud <laughs> yeah. and worried. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's really pleased with The Other Side of Night. He's really pleased with the book. You know, like, you know, the fact that he's inspired it and the book's dedicated to him and the main character's called Elliot as well. Well, the boy is called Elliot. Um, you know, he's really, really pleased about it. Part one of the book starts with a court extract, which, again, I love. Did you always know that's how the main part would start with or was that something that you worked on? No, I mean, that's something that, that I worked on. I originally worked on this as a short story and it was the penultimate two chapters, I think, that formed the basis of the short story. And so the, the idea of starting with a court scene came to be quite late in the process. And I just thought it would be a really good way of hooking readers in. You know, you kind of establish that there's a trial involved in the story and you establish that there's a secret at the end of that section, you know, it's very clear that there's something odd going on and there's a secret that needs to be uncovered. And I, I personally, I love courtroom drama. I love, you know, those kind of exchanges. I spoke to um, an author friend, Tony Kent, who's also a practicing criminal barrister and got his, I mean, I did law at university and I've done mini pupillages and time sitting in courtrooms and that, but I couldn't remember the language. I couldn't remember the procedure that they use. So I asked him to you know, I, I know that they don't say objection in the UK. So I said, you know, what do what do you actually say when you need to stand up and and make an objection? And as you and as you see in the in the book, it's it's all very polite. It's, you know, I don't want to have to get to my feet again. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm reluctant to stand. <laughs> you know, it's it's very very polite. It's not like the American uh, objection. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is a very different style. So you, you've got Elliot, who's the son. You've got Ben, who's a surrogate father. Mm. And Harriet, a retired detective. Did they develop as you were writing or did you always know who they were and what they were doing? I always knew those. Those three were always there. And obviously Elliot's parents were always there. Some of the sort of supporting characters developed over time, but those sort of central characters were always there. They were in the short story. I think slightly different names maybe. At the time, I wasn't sure about using our son's real name in a book. And um, we're very sort of cagey about privacy. Um, you know, my first novel, Pendulum, was all about the dangers of being too public on the internet. So we're quite cagey. But I, in the end, I decided I had to name the character. But apart from that, you know, their, their roles and who they are was clear right from the beginning. So I haven't read Pendulum, but I'm just writing that down because that sounds a very interesting one. If people, once they've read The Other Side of Night, that, is that one to, to go to? Uh, it depends what you're, what you're after, really. I mean, The Other Side of Night is quite different from what I've written before. Pendulum is a sort of exploration of the dangers of online lives that we have now. And then the sort of Black 13 Scott Pierce series is looks at um, contemporary espionage and how we are all now on the front line of kind of greatest game of statecraft, political and sociological manipulation and how technology has enabled foreign powers to reach into our lives on a daily basis and direct us and manipulate us. So that's looking very much at contemporary espionage. And then I write a series of books with James Patterson, the private books, which are, they're kind of somewhere between espionage and detective so it's kind of very 
high octane action criminal investigation that, that has a usually has some kind of political or social bent you know it's usually doing something you know it involves something that uh, has something to say about the world and then my next book is more in li- it's more sort of in the other side of night territory in terms of being quite thoughtful or thought provoking and um uh, different and emotionally engaging so i kind of write across a range of no that's great there's a whole smorgasbord a whole collation yeah, take your pick whatever you're in the mood for yes but those yeah. those sound great okay so just getting back to the other side of night did you always know how it would end or again did that alter over time no that was clear yeah. you know i mean the ending was the first thing that i wrote mm. in the short story and i always knew how it would end i knew what the principal beats would be the difficulty for for writing the book was actually making it not feel like a procedural and and making it clear early on that it was going to be quite a different journey and so i actually wrote a 50 odd thousand word version of the novel before this one which i threw in the bin because it just felt too too prosaic and too kind of just just sort of standard and i wanted this to be magical kind of as much as possible all the way through and so that was the difficulty with this was kind of elevating it so that you get that kind of sense that there's something special going on and that there's an emotional experience to be had here right from the outset and i loved it because you've got the views of different people you've got extracts you've got court records it makes it well for me it made it much more vivid and allowed me i just enjoyed it i was just consuming it so much and wanting to read more and find out because it that made it quite enjoyable if you can say that to for the for the context to read was it did you enjoy writing it? Oh, I loved it, yeah. I mean, I set myself little challenges as well when writing it. So it has all three perspectives. So there's first person, second person, third person, um, all the tenses. You know, it's kind of it, structurally it does some interesting things as well. So I kind of tried to make it interesting for me as a writer to try and push the boundaries of what I've done in the past. So I I loved writing it. And I wanted to try and find interesting ways to present the information. Because like I said, I wrote 50,000 words of a previous version. And it was very much a sort of traditional novel. And you were going through it, you know, I think mainly third person. And I just thought, oh, there's an opportunity here to kind of, I thought back to my history lessons, (laughs) you know, when I was a child and actually looking at primary sources and secondary sources Mm. and all the things that psychological thrillers do to kind of play with perspective and point of view. I thought there's a lot more fun to be had here. And and it was, it was really nice to be able to, you know, put in all those different elements. And and, and I'm glad to hear you say that because it felt a richer experience for me as an author. Hopefully that comes across. Does it make you want to write more books of that type? Is it something that you just want to keep doing or are you wanting to get away from that for a So time? the next book that I've written is almost entirely in first person. There's a couple of sort of extracts. And so it's not like I want to indulge myself and kind of explore all those different things in every book. I will always, and, and you know, the I think one of the things that, one of the reasons why I write across so many different genres and, you know, tonally different books is because I think my primary job as an author is to entertain readers, keep you hooked, grab you, take you somewhere, you know, get, you know, get, 
get you on an adventure, <laughs> um, give you a different perspective. And so I do things that interest me. Uh, you know, that's kind of the limit of how I define what I'm going to write about. And I will try never to indulge myself as an author. It's actually one of the things that I've learned working with James Patterson is the reader has to come first. You know, don't try and show how clever you are as an author. Don't try and use gimmicks and all, all this sort of thing. So it, it has, I've enjoyed it, but ultimately what serves the story, what serves the novel that you're writing has to come first. And so in this new book, I've gone almost entirely first person. But I do have planned in outline a book that's going to make the other side of night look like a kind of pedestrian procedural wow yeah so it's <laughs> it's sort of similar tonal territory and structural territory to the other side of night but it elevates everything like it should be a really <laughs> i'm hoping it's going to be a really sort of big epic story so um yeah i'm excited to get into that one and this is the sort of book we need at the moment because with everything that's going on you know we need a book that hooks us in and that we really can escape into and just builds a whole world for us and i really felt that with this book it it just pulled me in so much oh, I'm, again i'm really glad to to hear that it's it's what i was trying to do and i think you're absolutely right i think one of the things that you know, people talk about the twist and it's mind-blowing, but actually for me it was the catharsis of the book. You know, it's a really kind of makes you stop and think and you look at your place. I've had somebody uh, somebody who interviewed me kind of um, broke down twice during the interview and started yeah, started sort of mm -hmm. tearing up and, and said, you know, you, you're, this book's changed the way I look at the rest of my life. I'm making some real changes, profound changes to how I live the rest of my life. I was like, okay, that's really good. It's nice to hear. Um, uh, so I, I want to try and get that put on a blurb somewhere in the. <laughs> yes. I'm not crying. I'm sorry, Adam. I failed you. Yeah. I should. Be, I'll, I'll I'll get those tears coming. But you're you're absolutely right. I was talking to um, James Patterson about this, and he just said the world feels so unstable at the moment. You know, there's so much change going on. There's so we've been we've all been through so much. Yeah, I feel like this book. It's one of those books you're going to get out of it what you need at the time. If you're not looking for much out of a read, hopefully you'll enjoy the procedural. Um, you know, you, you may not. Um, but I think if you're receptive and if you're in that kind of space, you take away an awful lot from the book. And it will be a sort of an escape and an emotional release. But also what we need to say to readers is just as they say at the end of Mousetrap, the theatre production, you know, you keep this to yourself. Let's not have any spoilers going round on social media. Just let everyone develop it and experience it themselves. Yeah, I mean, so far people have been really good about that in general and mm. been very protective. But I'll be honest, I've started to now get messages from people who've read it the second time. Um, so, you know, people who've had advanced ah, copies and they've read it at the second time. Yes. And actually, Anthony Horowitz put something on Twitter um, last week or the week before, and he said it's even better the second time around. Um, and so, you know, I've read it probably 50, 60 times now, and it still gets me because I think... Uh, there go the dogs. We should just say that we're recording this. I'm sitting in... Um, well, I'd like to say sunny Shropshire, but it's not. It's absolutely miserable, and I've got the bin men outside. You, Adam, are sitting somewhere a little bit more tropical. Are we allowed to say the location? Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Mauritius. If you go on my Twitter, you'll see lots of videos of me 
standing around sugarcane fields and beaches and things like that. So, yeah, no, we moved here about uh, a year ago from Shropshire. And you've got so, the wonderful birds yeah. tweeting in the background and, and the dog barking. It, but yeah, so so yeah, this is a book to keep reading. And I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. there are things that in it that you'll kind of notice the second time around that maybe didn't mean anything the first time around. There's lots of secret hidden messages, anagrams. There are secrets concealed within the poetry. I mean, there's there's all sorts of things that people can f find. So you know, hopefully, it's a good value for money book because you can keep going back to it and you'll always see something new. Excellent. Right. Now you've got some quick fire questions for okay. you as an author rather than just this particular book. So yep. let, let's see. Day before publication or day after publication? Uh, definitely the day after. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because the nerves are gone and yeah, uh, the, the, ner the nerves are gone. And usually, you know, you've done all of the hard work by that point and you can relax a bit. Um, to be honest, I'm, I, I always have something on the go, book or screenplay or anything. And actually, my challenge is making time, carving time in the schedule, either before or after. And so, but yeah, I think day after is is more relaxing for me. Lots of edits or no edits? Mm, no, hardly any. No edits is preferable to me. It shows. I mean, I do. I do a lot of planning up front. A lot of planning up front. I, I'm a great believer, and it's something that comes from the screenwriting that I do. I'm a great believer. If you do as much work as you can up front when you're dealing with five or 10 or 20 pages, it will save you heartache when you're dealing with 400 pages. So I do a lot of work up front. And, it, and you know, fundamental things like how the plot's working, how the story's flowing through that, the characters and everything, how, how they're drawn, who they are, you should really know that because if you don't, you run the risk of having to make really substantial changes later on. So I think the lightness of the edit or the heaviness of the edit is usually, for me anyway, and every author's different, it's usually a sign of how much prep work I've done beforehand. Mm. Book title or book cover? Oh, it's always the cover, isn't it? <laughs> it's always the cover. Oh, my goodness. I never realised just how important a cover is until I started being published and you realize how supermarkets and retailers make their decisions cover is absolutely critical absolutely critical so yeah to cover imagine you're on a train obviously in mauritius not not so much but you're on a train you've not got a printed book to hand what do you access an ebook or an audio book Oh, it'll be an ebook for me. Okay, thank yeah. you. And your last quickfire question. At the end, do you just type a final full stop or do you type the words the end? Uh, it's a full stop. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, the difference. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I've never typed the end. Um, I just do a full stop and then I do the acknowledgements or an author's note and because I, sh I try and send the book in in exactly mm. the same way that it will be published. And it's rare that you'll see the end typed in a book. So I, I don't, yeah, don't do that. Do you think you could have written The Other Side of Night as your first book? Or does it almost stand on the shoulders of the other books you've written? It's not a series, of course, but could that have been your first no, book? No, I don't think so. I think, I think there's so much that I've learned along the way, both from writing myself, but also just from being around other seasoned authors and having the privilege of talking to them and getting inside their heads and sort of learning 
how they do things and their perspectives and yeah it's it's something that I feel yeah I don't think I don't think it would have been as good if it had been my debut so if you could go back and just whisper something in your ear when you're writing your very first book (laughs) what would it be I think it's more about being true to yourself I think I think I've, I've, I've mentioned this before and I put it out on Twitter recently there's a clip of uh, David Bowie talking about w- how to succeed as an artist. And he says, you know, be true to yourself and always push yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone so that you don't feel safe. And I think that when you publish a book, you have all kinds of expectations then from readers and from your publishers, and they will try and push you down a certain road. And if, you, if you've had any, any kind of success that road will typically be very similar to the road you've already walked. And it will be, you know, they want the same books, basically. They want more of the same. And I think both for the author and for readers, it's more interesting if you can give people something different, if you can, you know, it, you know swing for the fences, as they say in, uh, in baseball. If you can push yourself, try for something different. Now, that's very difficult to do because obviously I've written more... I'd say kind of intelligent action thrillers in the past. And so it's difficult for my publisher to position me for this kind of book. But over time, I'm hopeful that people will accept that you can, you can I can do both, you know, I, I, I can write sort of more um, conceptually challenging novels that get people thinking and feeling and, and also write these kind of thought-provoking um, action books but yeah that's the advice I would you know give m- to myself is actually follow your instincts trust your feelings because this book was something that I wrote outside of contract it was a book that I just wrote because I felt I had to tell the story and I went right back to the whole reason that I started writing which wasn't about money and it wasn't about you know fulfilling a contractual requirement or anything it was about I believe in this story and I want others to hear it Well, and we're so glad you did follow through and you did write it because it's an exceptional book. So Adam Hamdi, whose latest book is The Other Side of Night. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much, Philippa. It's been lovely talking to you. Coming up, one more author interview and four more book reviews. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So now we have our five questions in five minutes, and this time it's with Tom Hindle, author of A Fatal Crossing. So Tom Hindle, author of A Fatal Crossing, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. Right. You've got five questions in five minutes. Number one, can you describe your book in approximately 30 seconds? So A Fatal Crossing is a murder mystery set on board a 1920s cruise liner um, on its way from Southampton's New York. Midway through the voyage, a passenger is found dead uh, and a priceless painting is reported stolen. And a shifty detective who's on his way to New York for reasons he is very keen not to share uh, insists to the captain he be allowed to investigate. And he's accompanied by a ship's officer called Timothy Birch. And off they go, trying to solve the murder and find the painting before the ship docks in New York and the murderer can escape. That's an excellent summary indeed. Um, next question. Who is your favourite character, but it's got to be one of the smaller ones, not one of the principal characters. So I think, so our, our officer, Timothy Birch, he has a friend uh, called Wilson, who's another officer and is a pretty stand-up guy. So we, see, we only see Wilson a few times in the book, um, but he acts as Birch's kind of sounding board and his confidant and he sort of helps helps prop him up, gives him useful advice and is just uh, generally a stand-up guy. So I think Wilson would be my favourite of the smaller characters. Makes sense. And the next question is, what three words do you want readers to feel as they're reading your book? Or oh, let's say curious and mystified as they are reading it, and let's say wowed when they finish it. <laughs> Great. Now, the most important question of all, what food and drink were you consuming while you wrote this particular book? So I wrote this book on a Wednesday evening when uh, when my fiance was at the gym and I had the flats myself for a few hours and part of my ritual was I would always go to uh, the Lidl over the road from our house and I would get a massive Goodfellas pepperoni pizza and I would eat my <laughs> I would I would eat my pepperoni pizza with a can of Diet Coke while I was writing uh, before my fiance got home from the gym because she is the fit and healthy one of the two of us. <laughs> I love that. So can you eat that pizza now or does it bring back memories of when you were writing? Oh, I eat that pizza far too regularly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And are you keeping going with that when you were writing your second book or did you opt for a different uh, flavour? <laughs> so my second book, um, I mostly wrote in the small hours of the morning before I went to work. So I would usually be drinking either a cup of tea or some orange juice and if I was eating at that time it would usually be it'd be a banana if I was feeling good and it would be a chocolate chip muffin <laughs> if I was if I was feeling less good <laughs> what's been the me uh, most memorable moment in your writing I think probably getting the call 
from my... Oh, there have been lots of memories. So I guess getting the call from my agent to say, let's meet up and let's have a chat. I really like the book. That was a big one. Um, no, I tell you what, I'll tell you one better than that. It was when... Um, the book was out on submission to a, you know, a few different publishers and my agent, Harry, he sent me an email saying, you know, we've had, uh, we've had you know, a really nice response from an editor who's halfway through it and seems to be enjoying it. And when he told me that she worked for Penguin Random House, that was a real, oh my days sort of moment. Like, are you joking? Penguin Random House liked my book. So that was, that was probably the most memorable moment. I'm sure, and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Tom Hindle, author of A Fatal Crossing, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Now, let's jump straight on to the next book, The House of Ashes by Stuart Neville. My goodness. It says on the front, the darkest crimes leave the deepest roots. Yes. Now, I didn't know that this book had been published. I was very lucky to be given a proof. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I don't know if I'd have got it myself if I hadn't been given this. And on reading the first bit, it unnerved me so much. But this is such a book you immediately have to go out. And as well as acquiring the, <laughs> the other books, Adam Hampton's book, you need to acquire this one. Let me read you the blurb of this super book. For Sarah Keane, it was supposed to be a second chance, a new country, a new house, a new beginning with her husband, Damien. Then came the knock on the door. Elderly Mary Jackson can't understand why Sarah and her husband are living in her home. She remembers the fire and the house burning down, but she also remembers the children, the children who need her, who she must protect. The children will find you, she tells Sarah, because Mary knows she needs help too. Sarah soon becomes obsessed with what happened in that house nearly 60 years ago, the tragic night her husband never intended for her to discover. And Mary, silent for six decades, is finally ready to tell her story. OK, let's go for first few sentences. Fire. Glass breaks downstairs and she freezes in her bed, the blankets tight around her. Then a low noise, not quite a thump, but she feels it rise up through the floor into the bedstead. Outside a car door slams, then its engine rattles and fades. As I say, this is a tremendous book. Even if you, well, I don't, I, to begin with, I was put off because I was just like, oh, it's, it's, is it one of those typical books? It's not. It's, I don't want to say any more about it. It's just mind blowing. It's dark. It's concerning. It's gripping. It's gutsy. Bravo. So I think I've told you uh, what, what my thoughts are on this one. The next one, The Talk of Pram Town by Joanna Naden. Now, I have previously read another of Joanna's books, The Queen of Bloody Everything, I think it was called, and really enjoyed that one. And I saw on Twitter, Matson Taylor, who wrote the Evie Epworth books, was raving about this one. So I thought, hmm, this sounds interesting to me. Here's the blurb of this particular book. It's 1981. 11-year-old Sadie adores her beautiful and vibrant mother, Connie, whose dreams of making it big as a singer fill their tiny house in Leeds. It's always been just the two of them, until the unthinkable happens. Jean hasn't seen her good-for-nothing daughter, Connie, since she ran away from the family home in Harlow, or Pramtown, as its inhabitants affectionately call it, aged 17 and pregnant. But in the wake of the royal wedding, Jean gets a life-changing call. Could she please come and collect the granddaughter she's never met? We all know how Charles and Diana turned out, and Jean and Sadie are hardly a match made in heaven. But is there hope of a happy ending for them? 
Let's do the first sentence. Oh, and I listened to this on audiobook as well, and it was jolly good on that too. Connie, London, April 1970. She could have used the last of the money to get rid of it. Michelle had said her cousin knew a bloke who knew a woman in Stepney who'd do the deed if she didn't want to deal with doctors. She didn't. But she didn't want to see a woman in a back street in Stepney either, it turned out, despite all her Nell Dunn dreams. And besides, it was too late now. You sure you don't want anyone, love? The midwife, thick-set and florid, offers her a damp flannel. Your mum. Everyone needs their mum. Connie, pale and sweating, shakes her head to both. Not me. Jesus Christ, she groans, as another contraction grips her, quick and vicious. Nearly there, love. It's it's a wonderful book. It's very sort of evocative of the 1970s. Well, it flips between time from 1970s, 80s to current time. Um, it is one of those that is a bit like um, one of those great things you used to watch on the on the Beeb on a Sunday evening. I say feel good, but there are some really sad things that happen in the book. But it's just, it, it's lovely. It's like sitting down with a cup of tea and a nice slice of fruit cake. And um, uh, yeah, it, it was really good. I think, is she going to be an autobi author for me now? It's quite popular. Well, I think most of the authors that I've talked about or talking about today are going to be autobi authors. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was right good. I did. I thought it was right good. Okay, now we come on to The Bullet That Missed by Richard Osman. Love him or loathe him, this man writes books and they sell and people read them. I enjoy them. Here we go. Here is the blurb of this book. It is an ordinary Thursday and things should finally be returning to normal. Except trouble is never far away where the Thursday murder club is concerned. A decade-old cold case leads them to a local news legend and a murder with no body and no answers. Then a new foe pays Elizabeth a visit. Her mission? Kill or be killed. As the cold case turns red hot, Elizabeth wrestles with her conscience and a gun while Joyce, Ron and Ibrahim chase down clues with help from old friends and new. But can the gang solve the mystery and save Elizabeth before the murderer strikes again? First sentence. Bethany Waits understands there is no going back now. Time to be brave and to see how this all plays out. She weighs the bullet in her hand. Life is about understanding opportunities, understanding how rarely they come along and then rising to meet them when they do. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, having read the book, rereading that bit has even more significance now. But anyway, I listened to this on audiobook. I love listening to this series on audiobook. I'd say this is the best one yet. It, cosy crime is it cosy crime yes it probably is who cares it's a good story it's well written it's very enjoyable as an audiobook i kept wanting to find out i i i kept thinking i know who who's done it and what will happen um it, there's humor at this and i love the characters in it i thought yeah bravo excellent Next, we come on to Magpie. This is our last book today by Elizabeth Day. This was a book club choice. It was one I had heard about, but I hadn't read. So book club, you, you have to read it. OK, let's do the blurb first before I tell you my thoughts. 
Sometimes Marissa gets the fanciful notion that Kate has visited the house before. She makes herself at home without any self-consciousness. She puts her toothbrush right there in the master bathroom on the shelf next to theirs. In Jake, Marissa has found everything she's ever wanted. Then their new lodger, Kate, arrives. Something about Kate isn't right. Is it the way she looks at Marissa's boyfriend? The way she sits too close on the sofa? How she constantly asks about the baby they're trying for? Or is it all just in Marissa's head? After all, that's what Jake keeps telling her. And she trusts him, doesn't she? But Marissa knows something is wrong, that the woman sleeping in their house will stop at nothing to get what she wants. Marissa just doesn't know why. How far will she go to find the answer? And how much is she willing to lose? Let's go to first sentence, part one. The house was perfect. Well, not perfect exactly, because houses never are, but at least the imperfections were livable with. The flooring, which had clearly been bought in bulk by the developer, was a shade too light and the wood laminate a touch too smooth to pass for real. The plantation shutters were plastic and layered with thin spores of dust. Someone had made the odd decision to put a bathroom on the second floor with doors that led out onto a roof terrace. Marisa stood on this terrace, her sandals shadowed on biscuit-coloured patio stones, and she looked down to the garden below, which had a strip of lawn lined with potted plants, the soil newly turned. She noticed the quiet, which was rare for London, especially when you were this close to a main road. When she commented on this, the woman who was showing her round nodded. Yes, it's got a lovely sense of calm to it. So I am listening to this book as an audio book because I didn't have time to read it. And it's one of those book club, you've got to read it, pressure, pressure. You don't want to read it too far away from book club because then you'll forget it. And if you listen to it or read it too close to book club, you might not actually get to finish it. So I was like, right, come on, we're going to listen to this. And it started off and I was like, oh, this sounds good. And then, do you know what? I just thought, oh, no, this is another one. The, the woman being manipulated by the man and it's just another psychological thriller, blah, blah, not my cup of tea. So I actually put it on to the speak. I often listen to audiobooks on 1.3, 1.4. I put this up to two because I was just like, I've got to read it. I've got to listen to it. I've got to get through it, but I just don't want it. I don't want to hear this. And then it gets to a certain part in the book and I was... I was just like, what has happened? Has that, has, is, did I imagine, has that actually happened? I was flummoxed. I was floored. So the book certainly redeemed itself. I thought it was interesting, thought provoking. It's certainly something that we were able to talk about. At book clubs, some people uh, loved it. Some people didn't enjoy it as much. Everyone's different. But I applaud the change in the book. And it's certainly I then <laughs> grudgingly put the speed back down to 1.4 and thought, oh, no, actually, I am going to listen to this. So don't, if you've picked the book up and you thought, oh, no, it's a it's a me too one. It's not. Keep reading. And when I say me too, I mean in the it's another one of a similar type. Um, keep reading because you will be surprised. 
And that's all I'm going to say. I think you've had quite a range today. You've had the brilliant book called The Other Side of Night by Adam Hamdi. And Adam very kindly came on to talk to us about that book. You've had Tom Hindle give us five answers in five minutes about his book, A Fatal Crossing. And I've also reviewed for you The House of Ashes, the brilliant book, The House of Ashes by Stuart Neville. Um, the brilliant book, The Talk of Pram Town by Joe Naden. Um, the, yes, the brilliant book, The Bullet That Missed by Richard Osman. And also we had finally the book club requirement, Magpie by Elizabeth Day. So there you are. Those are your books. So there's actually six books in there, but five book reviews. Lots to go on, lots to think about. And I hope all's well with you. I've got some great books to talk to you about next week. So I can't wait, can't wait to talk to you about those. But in the meantime, just just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.